Hello, and welcome back to the Stakes After Dark. Sad. Our nightly dispatch from the summer convention, somehow not including Comic-Con or anything remotely fun, although there are some neat hats. Joining me here in our New York studio to bang an unnecessarily mic'd rhetorical gavel on this day, our DC correspondent, Jane Coaston. Hey, Jane. Hello, Holly. Jane, I'm starting to feel as we round the three-quarter mark of this convention stretch that you and I will personally survive this, uh, which, believe it or not, constitutes progress. We had a quieter night on the floor uh, where apparently some intrepid employees of the Wells Fargo Center thought to maybe turn off the live mics where they couldn't be grabbed by individual people, although there was some drama fomenting uh, in the media tent and outside. We had, I think, more active protesters tonight than we ever saw in Cleveland. Right. And it was interesting because it was some of the Bernie delegates that left after the roll call and then went to the media tent, tried to stop media from getting into the tent to get food, which, speaking as a member of the media, that is a dangerous proposition to get in between journalists and food. I have been, I have not been, I've never been a war correspondent. I've never been a national affairs reporter. I have never been in really any situation where I actively feared for my life, including multiple Alabama student sections. But as a former sports journalist, the most scared I have ever been in my life was at SEC Media Days, the year the Wi-Fi went down and Chick-fil-A ran out of chicken. You have never seen so many irate 55-year-old men named Skeeter in your life. Yep. And uh, I, I'm intrigued. I feel as if the Bernie delegates knew this because word in the street was that they were trying, people were getting, f- there were food deliveries and the delegates were trying to stop the deliveries of food from coming in, which that's rude. But um, so it, it sounds like it's led to protests, there, but um, Philadelphia police, recognizing that this could all go horribly wrong, stood down. And so there were some random anarchists who sh- showed up to burn Israeli flags, as one might. Jill but Stein was astride some barricades with a bullhorn, which I thought was very Les Mis. <sighs> That's my thought on Jill Stein. All right. Um, but then apparently it turned to singing and lighting candles and then doing more singing, which, you know. Gross. That's that's if you if you're into that kind of thing. I, I don't guess. Mean, I don't mean to say gross. You can you can express your political thoughts however you want. I'm just I'm still kind of trying to shake off that fight song montage that is kind of trying to cling to one of my heartstrings by its perky little hands. Right, and uh, I think my favorite part of this were the images of so once they managed to get the Bernie or bust people outside of the media tent. The Bernie or bust people started holding up pieces of paper with really detailed explanations for why exit polling showed that the uh, primary was rigged, but it was like in tiny little graphs, which did not really it did it did not do the job. It did not. But I, I respect the people who believe that Microsoft Excel can lead to freedom. Although as potential future mixtape covers for what will turn out to be Bernie's fire life of Pablo demo. I mean, it works for me. Jane, for the first time in six days of convention absorption, I feel as though you and I personally might survive this ordeal, which the absence of agony uh, at this hour kind of constitutes a, a pretty strong euphoria on my part. How about you? Well... At this point last week, we had just finished hearing from Ben Carson. So things are looking up on my side. (laughs) And this is not to say that we're, you know, 
we're able to stretch our wonky legs and splash around in a lot of concrete policy debate. These are still political conventions, which means they are still carnivals for the base. Uh, But no one has devalued our basic humanity uh, as women today. That was cool. Nice little Tuesday. Uh, there, there were a, there was a lot of talk today from people with personal stories who have been helped in some way by Hillary Clinton. Which, while it's not a a policy platform, a we're not really gonna get to hear a lot about policy, much as me we might be craving it uh, after last week in Cleveland. And B, at least we're hearing about priorities, something a hypothetical Hillary Clinton administration might want to focus on, which is not something we got a whole lot of last week. Uh, Last night, among other things, Monday night, we heard about substance abuse and mental health care. And tonight we covered police brutality. We had lots of women speaking about how Trump treats women and Americans with disabilities. And C, at least the convention is not being dedicated to speaking about what a nightmare Hillary is. Like when you think about it, she's on her sixth straight day of publicity. You know, Donald Trump talked himself after Melania's speech was being pulled apart in the press about how all publicity is good publicity. He just gave Hillary Clinton a solid week of it, of negative press, and now she's here for a solid week of positive press. Right, and I think that, as I said last night, I believe, that this is the most, you know, there has been nonstop focus on things either Hillary Clinton has done or wants to do. Even when you were hearing about survivors of 9-11 talking about the work she did as a New York senator. You're hearing about she did this thing that she said she would do and then she did it, which sounds like small potatoes, but after last week, that's pretty important because Donald Trump, the people who was able to find to speak were either F-less celebrities or people who whom worked for him. So this was a nice change. But also, and I think that this is an important point to remember, is that we are members of the the political class that are we the, pundits? Uh, what estate is this? What what what? Uh, We're the, the fourth estate, right? Okay, yeah. This is not for us. No, though there are probably more journalists watching this than literally anyone else alive. And I bless you, people who are not watching this. More cops I, than protesters. More journalists than real Americans. This is convention season. Uh, Glorious, glorious real Americans. This is not made for us. This is everything that has occurred tonight or last night or last week was not intended for people who write for publications or who who do journalism as a profession. In the, if you look at it in that vein, it's I think it's going pretty well. There's something I started to think about tonight. There's kind of a vacuum. You know, we're we're obviously heading into a couple months where we, you know, as journalists are going to have to be aware of how we're talking about Donald Trump versus how we're talking about Hillary Clinton. And there's kind of a vacuum that's being created by the GOP where we almost have to describe Trump in terms of how he treats other people because he doesn't give us anything else to go on. You know, he he surrounds himself and he defines himself publicly with these nebulous superlatives, both in terms of, you know, how he presents himself to the world and how he thinks of other classes of people. And we still don't know a lot about him as a hypothetical president beyond that. And I wonder how that's defining the parameters of how we, as a fourth estate, are even able to speak about him. Does that make any sense? It does. I mean, particularly when Donald Trump issued a statement today that said, and I shit you not, 
I know how I'll deal with ISIS, but I'm not going to tell you. That was his statement. In his defense, I'm starting a sentence with in his defense, and it's about Donald Trump. If I were running for president, that's exactly the kind of shit that I would pull. Oh, yeah. I shouldn't run for president. No. 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 No, we agree on this. Um, so let's let's go back to what actually happened tonight. I feel like by, well, you know, not by volume, because that would be Bill's speech, but I feel like by a pie chart, uh, the majority of the time tonight was, or the biggest segment was devoted to survivors of 9-11. And I have mixed feelings about that, that I'm I'm not quite sure how to unpack. On one hand, it's a lot of people, as you said, lining up to talk about real tangible things Clinton did as a senator for New York during this time. And on the other hand, they had all these long and and terrible personal histories with that day that they shared. And those stories, while each moving in their own way, it started to feel like a fuzzier version of the RNC's Benghazi cotillion from last week, which I found deeply tacky. Right. No, I I understand that, and I but think I don't know where the good place is on that line to settle because this you know this is something this right. was a a big deal accomplishment for her at the time. Right, and I think that I mean my personal line is that the Benghazi thing appeared to be that this was all Hillary Clinton's fault, and a hype you know hypothetically Donald Trump would have been better at this, which we would never know as Donald Trump has never really been asked to do anything, and I think that being able to direct viewers to concrete things Hillary Clinton has done or wants to do, or even when she was talking to the mothers of people who have been lost to police brutality, that's something that, you know, she's talked about for a long time and been willing to talk about very openly about working with these women. And I think that the fact that this is all related to her, and it's interesting that you pointed out earlier, I feel like the RNC was just as focused on Hillary Clinton, just in a completely different way. But I think this is a little bit different because it was like, yes, this is a horrible, tragic event. But at the same time, this is a horrible, tragic event. And then this person who happens to be our nominee for president helped us do something about it. There was a level of hopefulness to it. It wasn't quite the same as, you know, bringing out someone's you know mother to say that Hillary Clinton personally murdered my son. It's a little different when you're saying, you know, this happened to my child, but I'm proud to work with Hillary Clinton because I want this to never happen again. Yeah, the Mothers of the Movement segment, in contrast to the 9-11 Survivors segment, I thought was really well done. And I recognize that that's not a one-to-one comparison. You know, this is this is many separate personal tragedies and not one giant national event. But Sandra Bland's mom, in, in particular Geneva, who went first, I I actually gasped at one point during her speech, and I'm not really a person who tends to, you know, weep and rend garments even during big, you know, emotional speech movements, but they were so powerful up there as a group. I agree. And I think that just their presence and just the willingness, I think someone pointed this out on Twitter, um, there were 18 African-American delegates Uh, at the RNC, there are about 1,100 to the DNC. And just the level of, I I mean, it's clear the DNC wants you to know this, but the level of diversity that you're seeing across the board from people living with disabilities to people of different ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, after last week, it just, like, it's refreshing. I, I, I feel like, I mean, I'm aware that the DNC in its own way is pandering to me. And it's working, but it—I think it was refreshing. Yeah, 
It's one thing that I thought was really curious was, and, you know, maybe this is also naive because he is, as Joel Anderson was very astutely pointing out, still an old dude from Arkansas, but the real stumble tonight uh, on tangentially related to the mothers of the movement, I thought came from Bill at the end of his speech when he started, you know, he, he, of course he was off the reservation. Of course he was off the teleprompter because he is Bill and he's going to Bill about until he's done. But that, that part at the end about Dallas and the, and the police officers, it felt, it felt a little bit like he was grasping. It was maybe even more jarring to me because it felt like Bill did not have control of his own oratorical flow which is not something that you ever really see from him. But that was really the only the only misstep um, right. that I thought in a night that was geared towards a lot of people that last week's convention seek to actively marginalize. Right. And I could even read that in a way um, as appealing to kind of the hashtag never Trump Republicans in some ways who are more likely to listen to an old guy from Arkansas than they might be to the mothers of the movement for whatever reason. And that you'll have to unpack that some other time. But I think that they've done, a, you know, I think that having Bill Clinton speak um, is also effective because I think that Bill Clinton is someone that even, you know, even Republicans have been willing to recognize, like, he's pretty good at this. And, you know, kind of checking out Republican Twitter, even that, you know, even they're just like, okay, he's got something here. Like, this is something that's effective. And again, for people who are not a member of the chattering classes, I think that might have been effective. Also, the fact that if you started watching convention coverage at what? Seven? That was around the 1057 mark. So by that time, you know, my litmus point is my parents. By that point, my parents have gone to bed. (laughs) Like, that is, that's, whew, that's late. I mean, talk about unpacking. We could talk about Bill Clinton's five-hour address to the convention, you know, for probably its entire own podcast. Uh, The one thing that I do want to touch on that I thought really stood out was, you know, there was that, was it a New Yorker article today about the the odd position that Bill would occupy as a theoretical first gentleman and will he meddle or won't he meddle in affairs of state? But the thing about tonight was, that we haven't really gotten to see before was it's just a dude talking about his wife. Yeah. And Bill hasn't given a lot of these speeches. Hillary hasn't been framed in the public eye as this person. And it's amazing that this was a novelty. Yeah. And I think that that's something, you know, on my list of concerns, how Bill would behave as a hypothetical first husband is way low down there. But I do think that that's an interesting thought of just like by the you know by the end of it if you're thinking about it, it just it was an hour of a guy who's pretty proud of his wife talking about it at length. I mean it was kind of like it was basically if you gave like a father of the bride speech at a wedding but just like weren't really sure where to cut them off. It is really interesting to see him up there speaking as a person, not as a as a public figure. And that was that was also refreshing in its own way, just to see something new after this, what feels like an interminable election cycle, to see something new. And then we got to the big reveal of the night, which was Hillary herself in Hunger Games looking satellite animation. And that was kind of weird. That was a weird ending moment. That was a terrible animation. It looked like something out of SimTower. And was she at an Olive Garden? 
She seemed to be having a nice time. She seemed to be having the kind of nice time you have at a place where there are there's unlimited salad breadsticks. There is, and also the Chiron said that she was in New York. So I propose that you and I put our headphones down, go out and find wherever she is, and just start buying glasses of rosé and see what stories we can get out of this evening. I'm in. For Jane and me here in New York and for all of us here at MTV News, thanks for listening. Stick with us for the rest of the DNC because as long as it's on, we're stuck here. This has been Stakes After Dark or Sad. Good night, Jane. Good night, Holly. <laughs>